0: Hello, welcome to Ada's, on Ada's behalf, Uh, and uh, I'm Len Fleischman, I'm a local technology reporter, and with Ada's help, I've been doing an intermittent series of Seattle science and technology podcasts, live event, live stream things, where we're sort of seeing what the mix is, so there's this fun thing, when somebody comes to town, like Madeline Ashby here, who I'll introduce in a moment, who many of you know in person. Uh, it's, it's really exciting to do things that are live, and the power of the internet means we can also have people listening in, we've had some events in which dozens of people or a 100 people listen in, and then we have a podcast version later, so there's a preservation of it. And uh, it's kind of fun to experiment, I appreciate you coming out tonight, and anyone listening later, thanks for tuning in, we're listening live. Uh, so uh, let me introduce our guest this evening, who's passing through town, has lived in Seattle before, attended school not that many blocks away, oh, in oh fact back for a reunion. I won't say which one. Uh, <laughs> Madeline Ashby, thank you for submitting to this inquisition. So Madeline <laughs> is a, uh, a science fiction writer, a strategic foresight consultant, and an immigrant currently living in Toronto. You will have read her in Ottawa Citizen, Nature, Tesseract, Escape Pod, Boing Boing, tour.com, all sorts of places. And she has uh, two books of science fiction that we can discuss tonight. One is VN and the other is ID, which are I love the shortness of it. Thank you. Did you worry about search engines? Two-letter words.
1: Are uh, tricky. You should. I should have worried more about search engines because VN is actually there are two like there are two sort of appellations that come out of the, the 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 initials VN. One is that it's the. It's the suffix for all websites based out of Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, <laughs> unless you're in Vietnamese, you would not know. I do not, and I have Vietnamese friends, and I should have just asked, um, which was my fail. And uh, the other is that it is code in the gaming community for visual novel. Uh, if you play visual novel type games like Dating Sims or like if you play sort of more like horror oriented like like um like for example like Higarashi no Kokoro ni, like the like the like Higarashi When They Cry or like Christine Loves series of games like Hate Plus and um and stuff like those those are visual novel games in that they are sort of like Books that you play almost, and uh, they give you multiple options, and there's a lot of replay value. And what was funny is that, like, I realized this after the book was in print, after it was for sale. Like, it was like, wow, someone will either think that this is a novel about gaming, or they will think that I know nothing about visual novels at all, and I, you know, that won't go well. <laughs> <laughs> Well,
0: people will find you, uh, however they do, and so we've got a lot of things we could talk about uh, tonight. Um, this it's exciting. So We can talk about the entire future, uh, and, and we've promised we've promised to talk about the, uh, the, the least controversial thing in the world. We're going to talk about the Hugo's, of course.
1: Oh, fun. Uh,
0: nobody has opinions about that. There's no hard feelings, and uh, yeah, that's good. That's why you went live audience. You know that yes. people yeah. care yeah. Or, or in the know. Uh, let me start with the science fiction because sure. um, I, I'm uh, just read Vn and I've started ID and um, I mean this entirely as a compliment. I started reading VN one night and I was like, well, this is really delightful. What an interesting new world. And wow, it's a, such rich characterization and a family structure. And then I drove into a brick wall. And I went, oh, uh, um, and, then, you know, and then I was ready for it. I was like, okay, you know, I, got, I didn't have nightmares that night. I got to sleep and then I, ex- I expected more of that and, and that's what I got. But uh, narratively, it's an interesting approach to take. You, you kind of oh, led us right. down the path a little bit and then said, okay, this isn't going to be the world you think that I developed here.
1: Yeah, no, there's – um. so VN is the story of, um, of a little girl robot by the name of Amy Peterson who um, – uh, she's grown slowly over time and she's part of a clade of – Self replicating humanoid robots. And so her mother looks just like her, but bigger. And then her grandmother looks just like her mother, but older. And not even older, they don't really age past a certain point. And so uh, she. is at kindergarten graduation and uh, with her parents who love her very much, her human father who loves his robot wife and her robot mother who loves her very much and, and she's at kindergarten graduation and who shows up but her grandmother who's like every terrible in-law you've ever had. And, um, and she shows up and starts beating on her mom and her mom like starts an abusive sort of situation with her mother and her mother uh gets victimized and amy decides to run up on stage and uh eat her grandmother alive (laughs) and um spoilers yeah yeah uh and so well this is how i tell people about the book and then i said and then it's a chase novel um and uh and so uh that's sort of the the fairy tale side of that story and and people are sort of what I wanted to do with that prologue because that's the prologue of the book like that's the, like that's the first chapter of the book that's 5,000 words in that's what happens and then there's like 90 more of those words and uh, or 90,000 more of those words and so I wanted to it to get as bad as it was gonna get really early um, so that you would know like here are the waters that we are playing in right now and it's gonna be this bad probably not much worse but it's gonna be this bad and and stuff and you should know that before going any further <laughs> and and I try I try to be like really upfront and people have asked me like I'm not so sure like can I like parents, moms ask me, like, "So can I read your book? Did bad things happen to children in it?" And and I say, like, "You should maybe wait a little." Sort
0: <laughs> of, but that gets you into this issue about humanity. I mean, so the book the book doesn't explore that many
1: concepts. They're always asking about human children, and I'm just like, oh, well. So, well, you're, sure. The <laughs> VM
0: doesn't explore that many concepts, only uh, uh, the nature of humanity, the future of technology, the nature of consciousness, pedophilia, religion, uh, food, self-reple... There's not only a couple major yeah, concepts no, there, <laughs> I would say. But yes. it's, a, it's a deep dive... I think the consciousness thing... It, it's interesting to me, you almost uh, walk past that. You, there's sort of this assumption... I mean, actually the assumption, but there's sort of this very quickly dealt with idea that these creatures really do have some kind of self-consciousness, and they're yeah. and they're aware of that, yeah. and they know it's programmatic in some fashion, but it's already gone well past the emergent stage.
1: Yeah, they sort of take it as given. Um, like they don't care as much as the humans around them do whether or not they are real or whether or not they are aware or conscious or sentient or sapient and so uh they take it as given sort of on faith like they they have their lived experience of being what they are and they take that as good enough and what they sort of what i wanted to talk about sort of in the book but without talking about it at at length because as you say there's a whole lot in there and and a, chapter, a whole chapter on the nature of consciousness is best left to Peter Watts and not me. And so I, uh, I said that um, the way that I treated it was that you, we, none of us, know whether or not the people that we are dealing with are human either or if they share the type of consciousness that we share. In cognitive theory, there's this idea of theory of mind, which is you presume that the people that you are interacting with feel, think, feel, and behave, and make decisions, and, and so on, in the same way that you do, when in fact they don't, you know, and much of, many of our conflicts are based on this idea that we shall, We all share the same type of order of operations, or the same type of values, or the same type of, you know, the decision-making process, and of course we don't, and, um, and to pretend otherwise is sort of like where you stray into a lot of issues. So I wanted them to sort of do the same cal- – I wanted my robots to sort of do the same calculus on humans, which is to say, you know, here's what here's what they are like. And they are often – like the, the robots often refer to humans as they, like the chimps or them, and and sort of say like, well, you know that – you. I think there's a conversation early on in, in the first book, and then there's another – there's a repeat of it from two other characters in the, in the uh, second book, which is, you know that they're meat, right? Mm-hmm. And they're controlled by their impulses. You can't, it's not their fault. They're just animals <laughs> and stuff. You wouldn't get mad at a dog, would you? <laughs> and stuff, that kind of thing. So, so it's kind of like, it's, that's kind of what came up.
0: Well, and you have love stories embedded in this. There are yes. human love stories. There yes. are, ro- are. I mean, and well, they're von, von Neumann machines, yeah, technically, yeah, well, but yeah, the end machines. A, right. But they're but they're andor- uh, The android Humanoids. mold. They, I can't. You know, actually, I'm a little confused about one thing. And I think you leave this purposely ambiguous. They're sort of they're androids with uh, biological components.
1: They they or they pseudo- feel they feel like humans to you, but it's actually like a there's there's this there's a I, I looked organic. at the material science that would be required, and it was sort of like they have polymer doped memristor skin, which mm-hmm. like has muscle memory embedded in it, and then there's sort of carbon aerogel muscle, which because that research was happening while I was writing the book, and like if you charge certain like fibers of carbon aerogel, it'll like turn harder than diamond, but it'll like it can accomplish like ten times the amount of energy force. Or force per something uh, of the of um, human muscle mm-hmm. in like a little jet leg, <laughs> and um, uh, it's which means that you could jump like ten feet. You could jump higher. You could you could. And so I I just sort of looked at the articles and was like, oh okay yeah. So this is what we would do. We would have a we would have graphene on the inside for memory of the skeleton, and we would put it inside of airplane grade titanium, and then we would put it we would. Do, that would be our skeleton and then we would have the skin that sort of remembered human touch and would know stuff and Then we would have these muscle actuators and the the one thing that was I think there were two things that were kind of new about their design In terms of other robots that I had read one was that they uh, like the the way I sort of wrote them as as living was they are Made of small-scale like almost nano machines so that they are cellular in the way that we are cellular They aren't a bunch of actuators and valves and whatnot Uh, and two they had um their graphene memory could continually be growing and writing so it's it's a coral structure rather than like layers sheets and layers which is what the way graphene works now is that it looks like sticky tape when you when you
0: look at it you you deal with a concept that usually gives people the Uh, (laughs) (laughs) heebie-jeebies right from the start you're self-replicating self-replicating von Neumann machines are like the, the <laughs> bug a of, like, every yeah. sci-fi novel. And you're kind of like, all right, there's self replicating. But you kind of round it with, I think, a sort I mean, it's not a cheat, but it's interesting. The food supply winds yes. up keeping the Grey Goo situation from happening.
1: Yeah, so. the food supply, like, it's... Like, I really stole it from Michael Crichton, honestly. Like, the, the, um, the food <laughs> supply issue is what keeps... Uh, they can only eat certain food that is... In, designed to be the fuel for this process, so they can only break down um, certain materials into things that will nourish their body, uh, or that type that type of body. And so they're like huge chemical engines on the inside, and uh, which means that their their acid reflux can kind of like destroy layers of material. At one point, <laughs> like early early in the first novel, there's a moment at which like. Um, uh, because amy because the protagonist amy is is kept on a starvation diet she has a huge well of this of these digestive chemicals inside of her that can like break down metal and and so she doesn't eat a lot and so and there's all this acid there and at one point she's spitting or something she spits in school and she de- she defaces property on her school grounds and her father her, her very human father says are you accusing my my child of vandalism or of being of a xenomorph, and and uh, that's what that's how he kind of looks at it. Is like, well, you shouldn't have made my daughter act this way <laughs> or something.
0: <laughs> uh, I think there's also a great um, it's not a workaround, but it's you know every ever since. Um, well, Carol Capek, let's go all the way back to that. But yeah, ever since the yeah. invention of... Rob- and because of World's End, you never have to explain this anymore. Because that movie came out, you say, well, you know where robot came from? Everyone says, yes, it's a word that means... Yeah, uh, has yeah, everyone yeah. seen World's End? It, no? Oh, my goodness. See, well... I, I it loved means it. means
1: the the yeah, the <laughs> the root of the word robot from Rossum's Universal Robots right. uh, is is the word, I think it's the For f- Polish word
0: worker uh, or force, surf, surf. Yeah, it's not language. a polite word. Yeah, it's not a
1: nice word. It's a all.
0: recurring joke in that movie. And so you're actually the first room I have to essay. So go Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Is this oh, part oh of the world.
1: Oh, uh,
0: oh, okay. The what's The this? world's
1: end. It's like it's a um Simon Pegg movie.
0: Yeah, it's very It's the pub crawl. It's very crazy. It's a totally insane film, but they explain this, you know this, that robot mean slave? Uh, yes. I, I that. But so ever since you know the introduction of the concept of robot, then you get Asimov introducing the, the his laws of robotics. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have a different kind of law, and it's <laughs> creepy as hell, and it's great because it fits into this whole consciousness thing. You invented the failsafe.
1: Well, I didn't invent the failsafe. But uh, the you idea,
0: you applied a failsafe.
1: The the idea that you would um if you if you witnessed violence you would um uh, stroke out essentially you would have like the the robot equivalent of an aneurysm um and you would break down so what you would then have to do if you saw a fight about to start or something terrible about to happen you would have to intervene or you would die um so there's a if you catch people misbehaving or you see something about to happen or you witness like if you see this guy yelling at his wife, or you see something like that, you're you have to go in and end it really quickly. And you're strong enough to do it. You have again that magical titanium body and that like you know you're stronger than they are. But you can't hurt them. You just can only get in their way and, uh, and stuff. And you can maybe like jump out of the situation if you're an ego model with like really powerful legs. Or you could maybe. You know, wrap do a therapeutic hold if you knew how to do that, or you know something like that. And then, then the human that you were holding would be really screwed. <laughs> I, was, I was just, uh,
0: I didn't see Buffy the Vampire Slayer the first time through, so I'm actually watching it. I just finished season five. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've,
1: I've seen I've, and
0: so Spike there's has, a, bit, the pain has a pain chip. Yeah, it's yeah. like you do something bad, like oh, you it's, know, he's evil. It's a evil. lot like that.
1: Like, a, like I was thinking about the pain chip in Peter Watts' novel Blindsight There's the crucifix glitch that that the oh. vampires have, where if they see a cross shape. It like acts like non-Euclidean geometry for them. They start to get very ill, and they can't look at them for very long, and um, and stuff. So, uh, uh, and that that was his way of including including some like vague horror, I think, in, the, in there, or the or acknowledging the mythology that is surrounded vampires. And I sort of was like, well, how would we do the laws of robotics with like out doing the goddamn laws of robotics, which are terrible, um, and and, uh, and stuff. So. This was what I thought of was like one rule, and it was life or death, mm-hmm. which, I, which I assumed would ensure some compliance.
0: <laughs> yeah, and of course, when you have a MacGuffin, something has to go wrong. So yeah. <laughs> if, there's, if there's a fail-safe, something's gonna, that to dog's fail. going to die. We fail. know that dog's going to die.
1: It has to fail, yeah. You know that um, once you establish it, then you have to break it. And the end is the story of um, Amy... Realizing that she is among a clade of of other self replicating humanoids who can um, hurt humans, or some of them can. She's part of a, of a line of women who can just who can really put the hurt down, um, and and stuff who can really really get into it with humans and and whether or not and the consequences of having that gift like there's a lot of there's a lot of stories of like the chosen one who has the gift and it's like the gift to like bring peace to all humanity or like you know end the war or like you know, all these things. And it's like, no, 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 no. I have the gift to liberate my people by destroying my enemy. (laughs) Like like That's it. And, 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 you know, and, and do I share that gift? Do I, you know, I have this power, now what do I do with it? And it's about the, I think that SF stories and fantasy stories and a lot of stories in general about are about the judicious use of power and that's even stories about royalty or, or or leadership even the west wing is about that on some level like we have this amazing this amazing power now now what do we do with it and how do we um you know is it okay to use it and how how do we share it do we share it with other people and that's sort of the dilemma that is faced in the, in those first two books is how do we how do we share power
0: well not to get too Religious, about <laughs> this. but I've often thought the one flaw of Satan is that Satan's depicted as being ultimate evil. He's a yes. fallen angel, but he doesn't seem to have ultimate power. And most of the manifestations, because he had ultimate power, he just weak. destroy everything. He's always doing sort of relatively petty things, whether it's biblical or in retellings. I'm like, really, that's all you got? And I feel like the failsafe. When you don't have the failsafe, the Portia, the grandmother who parents is, a, is a, handing this down, she's a much better example of what it's like. Evil is one thing but complete amorality is another and she is completely she has no sense of her necessity for it
1: for yeah no it does nothing for her like she's um she's like that's nice about um a lot of like basic kind of core moral principles that a lot of people have and she um she's very much um she's incredibly selfish and narcissistic um things are all about her all the time She's. I modeled her a little bit after, um, and it's funny because I'm rewatching this again now. I modeled her a tiny bit after um, Jane Phillips' character in *I Claudius*, Livia, who's like Li- Livia Drusilla, who like it is who Robert Graves sort of theorized killed everyone in her son's path so that Tiberius could become um, could become uh, Caesar eventually, um, and so she. There, there, was a little bit of Jane Phillips's very diva-ish dramatic performance in there. But the thing about Portia that I really love, and she's like the easiest thing to write ever, um, uh, is that she's really nitty gritty and ha- like has no, like does not try to sugarcoat any of her evil in anything. Like she at no point tries to be charming. She is not the charming devil. She is not. She is not Hannibal Lecter. She's just you know. The f- she is Hannibal Lecter as as he is eating you raw, like the <laughs> the um, the um, the that sort of. Oh, but I have a I have an excuse, or I have a I have a reason, or I have a. There's no comp not a comp- there is a compelling backstory, I think, but there's no um, sort of excuse for her behavior, and she doesn't uh, really make any for herself. She just has this belief that you know human the 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 time for humanity is over. They had their shot. And she also believes that like they are fundamentally inferior to her. And they and and so she doesn't she sees them as sort of like cattle. Like this is this is fun in the way that tearing the wings off of flies is fun. At one point, like I'm working on the third in this um, in this series of books and it's her book. Like it's Porsche's book. And there's a chapter in it called "Planes, Trains, and Automobiles." That's only just like a series of meditations on of Portia hacking into the um, the onboard navigation systems of planes and the onboard controls of planes and opening the doors when they are at cruising altitude, just like because she can. And like she's like, oh, and then they go out this way, all screaming, you know? <laughs> and think, and she does things like she scrambles. Um, Traffic lights, so that the moment that um, ambulances and fire trucks leave their stations, they can't get anywhere, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then she causes major traffic accidents, and stuff uh, all the time. So, like that's that's how she rolls. Like once she has more more to do, it's like. It's
0: wonderful. (laughs) I feel like a lot of of science fiction are meditations on empathy. Like, Mm. uh, uh, we were talking before we started about um, uh, Philip K. Dick's uh, Do uh, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Right. And that book, uh, it was surprising. I'd seen, I've loved Blade Runner. Oh, yeah. yeah, There's only one version. The good version is the last version, I think. Yes. Yes but the book the the movies touch on this a bit they do but the book I did not realize until I read it just a few years ago yeah it's a, a it's, huge it's, it's so much about empathy it's about the tearing the wings off, picking legs the off, spiders. off spiders yeah yeah and you're like and you're thinking mm-hmm. but it, and it's that nature it's like if you have no inherent anything and there's probably a debate in there about postmodernism about in a world in which you have no religious ethos in which whatever how do people behave morally and I think yeah. this book comes or the series comes from the same places what is a moral center is there a moral center does in a, in a universe in which uh, there are people or or uh, entities that can act on their own will and behalf that are like gods that have no restraint
1: right yeah I mean like that's I think I think you're right that that's one of the themes of the of the work is um, uh, how do we um, again how do we use that power and how do we um, how do we treat other people what does it mean when when, human, when being human is not enough. One of the lines that, that is in the first novel is you, it's a human being speaking to a VN, says you all have a humane reaction to inhuman behavior. Mm-hmm. And, and it's this woman who only dates VN. Like she's been jerked around by enough guys that she kind of is like done with human relationships. And that comes up a lot in the novels. That there are like a lot of humans who are like, you know what? We're terrible, <laughs> and uh, and they have like come to the end of the line in terms of their ability to empathize and their ability to relate and and so on. So they attach themselves to these machines who do a way better job of it or provide a better simulation of it. And one of the, for me, one of the core novel, core themes of that novel and then the later ones is. Um, how do you know that someone loves you? How do you know that you are loved? And if this thing that is not a human being can provide that to you, uh, can provide the illusion of love to you, what is, the, what is, it, what is that then? And how do, you, how do you know if they truly do? And, and stuff, because in reality, for <coughs> example, there are, there's this long history of like, people who have been married to serial killers. For example, and in fact, the Green River Killer was one of these guys, where he had been married for a long time and and had uh, um, had had all these relationships, and no one knew, or the BTK killer out on Long Island, where you know he had this whole long you know marriage and was killing and torturing women for a long, long time. He was he was fundamentally a psychopath, and and but was able to approximate human behavior and and stuff. So I think there's a there's a very interesting question that we have to ask about ourselves there, too.
0: so. Well, and, and you address a very interesting part, too, is that these aren't sex slaves per se. They no,
1: have, they just can't say no. They
0: can't say no, but then you, you're sort of like, there's a solution for ped- pedophilia in there. You've come up with, yeah. there's an answer for it. It's like, well, if someone's a an android... Is, is it, it the same? Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and that's gonna be wow, that's gonna be interesting when that's a reality. You no, know, yeah. the book yeah. is so disturbing. You're like, but they have
1: their self-conscious entities, are, but then they're not they're really. There, but they're not there, yeah. But they're, yeah, and is and is it you know, the um uh, it's really funny because certain reviewers will latch onto that part of the novel or that theme within the novel and be like, this is a trilogy of novels about rape. And uh, and stuff. And it just happens to be about Machines and uh, and I'm like, wow. well, rape okay. culture works that way. Yeah. <laughs> um, welcome, welcome to the world. <laughs> um, uh, so nice of you to join us. Um, <laughs> enjoy your stay um, and and stuff. So I like it's a one of the things. That, that i wanted that was one of the things that i wanted to touch on because also i'm a huge anime and manga fan and i had seen this change in anime fandom and manga fandom that like went towards more like preferring younger bodies and preferring like the sort of moe aesthetic which is the budding or sprouting aesthetic and like guys who like really preferred that shape and that attitude and that that um sort of look and what does that mean and then the, the ex, not the excuse but the, the sort of the um, perspective was always like but they're drawn they're not real they're not you know I'm not doing anything bad and and stuff like that and it's like well okay yeah actually that's true like you have some sort of you have a first amendment you know, thing that you're saying there and that's correct. On the other hand, what if we popped those people into three dimensions? What would that actually look like? And are we talking about like a therapeutic treatment? Like there are um, there are people who practice what they call like an ethical pedophilia, which is they never act on it, but they understand that what they have is an addiction. And they attend meetings and they go and talk to other people and they try their best to sort of navigate uh, their life and, and stuff, and they're often you know, partaking in prison programs. And what's funny about um, the, the people who know that they are like this is that they actually require a huge amount of institutional support. In Canada, there was a pilot program for dealing with people who had been recently released from prison for, for these types of crimes where what they needed was a clique of people to... Uh, talk to them regularly about what they were not going to do and how they were going wow. to stay safe. And when they lost that support, that was when reoffense happened and stuff. So that's, it's very strange how that, um, in the brain, when, we, when you go to an AA meeting or when you talk to, um, when you uh, talk about what you are not going to do, you actually are, fundam- you're, you're gently rewriting um, throughout the brain, there's this idea that when you go to, when you attend meetings, you are uh, giving, you are exercising the part of the brain that does willpower by talking about it, which is why people, and I know this having experienced it myself, that's why people talk about their diets all the time. <laughs> and, and, and stuff, so you have to like re-jigger that part of your bo- of your brain to get it going again.
0: Well, I'm gonna shift gears because we'll we'll move on okay. from fiction because um, we should probably talk about. Uh, rampaging companies without ethics. So, take over. Wait, is that the fiction part or the non-fiction yeah, yeah, yeah. part? But uh, we'll shift into futurism because so we're talking a lot about. I mean, if you you know your view and uh, your research and view of what's going to happen uh, with technology, and how it's going to affect society, obviously deeply informs the books. Yeah, and yeah. it's one exploration. But since as a futurist, as someone who consults and writes about mm. what's to come, how do you uh, mediate that when you're you know trying to chart the unknown? You know, you don't want to be the person who said. No computer needs more than 640K. And, no. Uh, won't need one <laughs> computer the size of. Uh, just a city Padua who uh, just came through town with the thrilling adventures of Lovelace and Babbage. She mm-hmm. has a pocket universe in which Lovelace and Babbage can thrive and fight crime. And in it, there's a, a reverse rule instead of the Moore's law, in which everything gets increasingly small and there's more transistors packed. Everything it's Brunel's law, and everything gets bigger and bigger, bigger until and there'll future. be one computer that spans the earth. And uh, That's uh, wonderful. I just I just love that. But so there's you know there are a lot, obviously people try to predict the future, but you're trying to chart I guess a space. Through time of what's going to happen, how do you approach that with so much that's going on and things that, uh, as I said, you're wearing an an Apple Watch, something that fell out of the future. uh, How to buy it for work? This is the the disadvantage of technology. This, this, this this, this fell out of the future, Uh, and um, you know it's not unpredictable, but this happens all the time. We have new things that that appear. Uh, The the rapidity with which self-driving cars went from being a thing that was sort of laughable to being something that's mm. routine how do you approach these kinds of uh, terrain
1: well because I'm a freelancer like I, I get asked to talk about a specific thing like someone will say like hey can you tell us about driverless cars or hey can you tell us about like what this chipset will do in ten years or hey can you tell us about the world without antibiotics and I do some research or they give me a brief and they say hey we're going to be going to our own clients with this now give us a compelling vision of, of a future involving this so that we can show them pie charts and a compelling narrative because the pie charts will impress some people and other people will not care. So um, give us this compelling narrative or give us a more like fleshed out vision of what this will look like or, or tell us sort of how wrong this is gonna go so that I can tell my engineers who have not surfaced for air in three years like how this is going to play out and, and stuff. So I, it's usually, it's brief to brief to brief. It's, it's client to client to client in terms of what they want. And, um, and the, the difference between like writing a novel or writing a short story for myself and writing um, like something for a client is that there's, I have a lot of time for myself. I have a lot of time to do whatever I want for my own projects. And then um, the, the, uh, The clients usually ask for something on a set time scale and something really specific like say like in 10 years this you know or like there isn't as much room to move around it's very constrained because they're usually asking about like a really specific topic
0: oh that's nice so you're not you're not navigating all possible futures no Uh, no 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 no, no, you have to be the seer if you uh, want if you
1: like Traditionally in a long-term foresight exercise like a long long long-term foresight project like a year or something like that what you do is a series of trends workshops and uh, signals workshops and and you you collect a lot of signals and then you do like a big trends workshop and then you do some analysis and then You sort of figure out like well, okay What are driving these trends and then you design sort of around like a um, Like a scenario grid or something like that like okay well in four possible scenarios, what does this look like? And like, is it, here's the, there's, I, lately I've seen a lot of like utopia versus dystopia, which is like, because dystopias are really hot now, that's good language to use because it, you know, does more things for you um which is like it's i think it's because now dystopia is like automatically associated with jennifer lawrence and, uh, and, and stuff it's like you you hear dystopia and you see jennifer lawrence so it's like that's there right. is not a lot dystopian about jennifer lawrence i'm just saying and so <laughs> there's so i think that like that's just sexy language to use now mm-hmm. um but what they mean is like the utopian vision for our company or the utopian vision, um or dystopian vision for us. And it's like, well that's a that's a win lose. Like that's not you know uh that's not quite what that what those words mean. But they also for if you spend sixteen hours a day in one office it is your world. So
0: the um
1: the you know, the utopia is Global as well as
0: local. It it feels like you're you're fighting against the worldview, though. You have the Dick Cheney's of the world saying from self interest something like, uh, you know, alternative energy. I can't breathe the exact words. It was, you know, conservation's a nice idea, but. Mm -hmm. And you think, well, what if uh, the largest oil companies in the world had actually been aggressively investing in solar instead of putting out the word that solar would never become cheap enough to be competitive? Uh, all these years. Right, so right, you know, right. we're at an inflection point. What do you think about like the solar inflection point that we're starting uh, to reach?
1: I think that Royal Dutch Shell has known about it for decades mm-hmm. because they have consistently been... Royal Dutch Shell um, sort of pioneered this sort of scenario model of forecasting because in the 70s. It started for them in the 70s where they were like hey, wait a second, or actually no. in the 50s, but they, they realized that they were getting the majority of their oil from like one client, and that if that relationship dried up, they were screwed, which is exactly what happened during the oil crisis of the 70s, and what did Shell have? They had other relationships and stuff, and that's what they are doing now. You can go download for free the Shell scenarios, and they release them every year, and they sort of talk about, like, or every group of few years, and they talk about like, okay, in five years, here here's how many, um, here are the turbines we will have to invet- have invested in. In 10 years, we expect um, X amount of fracking to have continued in, you know, and they sort of have the math on all of these things. And it's different, it's weird, because the, the energy case is really, really interesting. Um, uh, in, in that everyone knows that it is coming and everyone is singularly unable to do anything about it. It's like death. <laughs> um uh, <laughs> That's what it seems like though shouldn't they have been able to make some plans yeah no well they, they are shouldn't. yeah they are and they and they kind of haven't in again like death mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like saying well if you keep smoking <laughs> if you keep smoking this this might happen but it might not i might be one of the 20 percent of people that doesn't get cancer um the the i think we've had this I think it, there's also this uh, this idea sort of rooted in American exceptionalism that like we will be the one that you know we'll find a way to make it work out or it'll be someone else's problem or it'll or something like that but at the same time I think that there's a killing to be made in investing in those forms of energy what is hard is changing institutional culture and changing those relationships again it's hard to go to your client and say like okay yeah we know that we've built a lot of rigs with you and we know that we support your entire economy but we are pulling out Mm -hmm. we are leaving and we are going to go build something else we are going to go build like carbon capture units, or which is the thing that all of these people should be investing in, just to offset everything. It's, the technology is right there; biochar exists. You can go do it. Um, like the um, we're going, we are going to go do this, and it's that's the same in I think a lot of corporate cultures that changing a relationship is hugely hard, um, and and hugely difficult. Um, more so than inventing a thing, almost. Way more so than inventing a thing. Like, the, the invention can exist. Ideas exist. But the most toxic idea that in our world is the idea that nothing will change. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, we live in a remarkable time. We have two supervillains in the world. <laughs> we have Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk. They're not supervillains yet, but Jeff Bezos is lifting uh, rocket engines from the bottom of the sea... They both have rocket platforms. Uh, Bezos controls a worldwide uh, uh, shipping empire. Yep. Te- Tesla Motors is suddenly a battery company. That's going. I mean, I'm kidding. Which but, I'm you super know. excited about.
1: Yeah, like, but I'm, I'm kidding. Excited about the Tesla batteries. This is in
0: science fiction. There's always some crazy billionaires who make all this money and then invest in weird technology and move humanity forward. And then
1: suddenly we're an age. Where there's billionaires investing, I mean, yeah, no. Well, so, like, okay, so this is why we should teach science better in um, in the school system because, like, the the vision of a like, there's this really toxic meme of the mad scientist who you know takes things too far because there are some things that man was not meant to know because apparently we were meant to be stupid. Um, the you know there are some things that man was talking you know, that we were not meant to do or that we were not. You know supposed to you know, and I believe in scientific ethics and research ethics and bioethics and in particular But I also think that 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 idea that smart people who want to change the world are obviously evil Or that people who want to invent something that could that could change the world are only selfish or out narcissistic or out for themselves That's also, like, a fairly toxic idea. In fact, the majority of science is done by people who show up to work every day, work incredibly hard, work with a team of researchers so that they can publish something in a journal where they get, you know, where the article gets flensed and flayed alive by peer reviewers. And then they get very little recognition until a huge brand name is attached to it later, if a huge brand name is ever attached to it later. And that's also a million total one shot so i feel like now we do live in that age of 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 people who you know you know, Elon Musk seems like he clearly wanted to be a mad scientist or a Bond villain, uh and have a volcano base. And, and Did you and see stuff his like tweet? Yeah. His tweet was yeah, recently I, was like, oh, I guess it's time uh, I buy a volcano. volcano. Buy yeah. Um uh <coughs> soon I will have people in silver jumpsuits working. For me. Um the uh that kind of thing. But that's also the only model that exists. That's also the only kind of like media model that we have for that type of intelligence or that type of business. And and stuff. And we talk about representation in fiction a lot. And it goes both ways that, you know, you can, when you only have one vision of good and only one vision of evil, you can't then be surprised when people sort of sort themselves into categories and, and stuff. So I, I don't know, like I'm actually personally really excited about, um, the things like the Tesla battery. And I think it's really cool that these guys are sort of investing in things that, um, you and making them cool again that's that's i you know some of us always thought that they were cool but now they're cool because the guy from tesla did it and he was in iron man 2 um he has this tiny little cameo in it um but but
0: he's also the guy who says uh oh and we'll have an over-the-air update that'll let your car be self-driving
1: yeah just casually but he yeah i think but i think also like he probably does believe that. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah, and, yeah. and I believe that at some point that probably will happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I think me personally, I, I'm more interested in like letting people... I, I love the idea of a driverless car because I don't drive, and I think that driving is terrible. But um, the uh, the... I'm really interested in allowing I think the middle gap piece in there is like allowing drone drivers to take care of to drive cars by remote oh. and and stuff. And because it would be the further Uberification of, of the of the economy, except for that taxi drivers would no longer have to buy the car.
0: But then you'd have people in India with driving five cars at once. Yep. And they'd be like this because they would outsource it that way. Yeah,
1: basically. But like a- you know, <clears throat> You're taking your life in your hands when you get in one of those things, anyway. It's
0: true. Well, so there's a lot of self-correction yeah. out here. Um, I want to leave time for questions, so let's move on to our final major topic, though, because we to ask you more about futurism in the Q and A here in this. Topic.
1: Oh, I but,
0: know. Uh, the Hugo's. Yes. Hugo Gernsbach, Speaking of geniuses, he yes. he. Not only did he invent. Uh, amateur radio, which is sometimes less known, but he invented science fiction, too. Uh, and there's an award name for him. Mary
1: Shelley had nothing to do with that.
0: That's right. No, no, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> Don't look at the woman behind the, the giant monster. Behind the
1: history. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's
0: a great genre. Uh, but, uh, so he, there's an award name for him. Is there a Shelley? There isn't a Shelley. Is there? there should be a Shelley's.
1: a Shelley award there might be I don't know there's like there's the Prometheus award which is for libertarian Mm -hmm. science fiction Mm -hmm. um which and like because uh because uh uh um you know the other title of Frankenstein's Prometheus Unbound, Like kind of maybe fits into it. And you know that Dr. Frankenstein would have been a total, total, total libertarian. Like, <laughs> like he was, you know, that was so obviously where he was going with this. Um, so I, I guess, like, that like, why can't I just get bodies? They're right there. That's leaving money on the table. You know? That kind of that attitude so like I don't know but the Hugos so the Hugos
0: are an award wrapped inside a conference and so there's a conference that's called World Convention convention. it's a Worldcon it's enormous it dates back to what 1936 yeah it's it's, very old it's very old and the Hugos are an award that are presented there um, by member voters but Mm -hmm. becoming a member is not difficult
1: no, you can buy a supporting membership for forty dollars, and then you
0: get a read. You get a package, and you get to read everything Tons that's of free books. By and the way. Then, yeah, Tons it's an amazing. Of free books. It's a great. It's a great thing to do, and uh. uh but, and Worldcon's is actually going to be in Spokane this yes, year. Yes, I'm sorry. So it's uh oh I know <laughs> hey, just because it's the largest concentration of serial killers in the country. I don't know what you're talking about. Gosh, you're getting it. Yeah, exactly. But cheap housing. Uh, so uh, so she's about the voting process for WorldCom. We'll but so uh, Hugo's have never been free of controversy. But the last few years has gotten worse and worse. Do you want to talk a little bit about what's happened in terms of like how the Hugo's are voted for, and then what the controversy is that has come up?
1: So this year the. Hugo's were sort of um, the the expected the the Hugo ballot is open to to all and uh, and to anyone who has a supporting membership or to prior attendees like you know um, and this year a group of uh, very sad individuals and um, sort of organized they made a uh, partner their their former disaffected, uh, writers who have never gotten the um, the sort of attention that they thought they were due and now they have lots of it. Um, their names are I think Larry Correa and um, Oh Fox Day. Fox Day. Isn't that the, group? Which is to say the, I think Theodore Beale. Yeah that's um, right. and uh, and they united they made a they made a pact with um, followers of the Gamergate hashtag um which is to say men who hate women which there's an interesting like that phrase what's interesting about that phrase is that is the original title of the girl with the dragon tattoo yes which you may not know um in and in fact in its native country that was like how it was called i think was men who hate women because it is a novel about men who destroy women and um and uh this is uh so these guys who hate it when women are successful, really were angry at last year's Hugos when um, uh, women like Cameron Hurley and and Leckie, who's the sweetest woman alive, um, uh, swept the awards which was a great night, I was there, I was in London when these awards kind of were announced and I was watching them like unfold on my phone and then I came to the party afterwards and it was amazing. It was like we had all won. It was like there was this tide of emotion that was huge and beautiful. And of course, some dude with a really sad boner has to come and you know, <laughs> shit all over it. You know. <laughs> and, like, well, and, and, Your for- power makes me... Mad. And for context, like
0: the number of people of color of any gender and yes. women of any color who've won awards is still vanishingly small. small. It was vanishingly Seventeen small. out of ninety six. It's yeah, a tiny it's, number. It's a tiny. Just tiny happened to be in one category. This, little concentration. Yeah.
1: This was a new kind of year, and this was like this was a this was a new sort of trend. It was a, and it could have been a blip on the radar. And what these guys are trying, the the alleged sad puppies, which sad puppies are cute, and these guys aren't. Um. Uh, what's sad puppies are sort of like my mom, who is in the audience this evening, asked me over. Like I think she asked me over the phone. Why are they? Why are they called the sad puppies? And I said because they like to eat their own shit. Um, and and and, she, and they like to cry a lot and eat their own. Well, shit.
0: then they well they, um, they made the devil's pack too. Is
1: they align yeah, themselves they, with the al- Robin Puppy? Yeah, they the they, they align themselves with Vox Day, who's like this sort of you know terrorist within the science fiction community who likes to um who who flounced out of sifwa uh and and was kick, was finally kicked out of sifwa after he had uh, been abusive to a bunch of people and uh and they aligned also he got them sort of the GamerGate audience who was aligned with his politics and now they there's this movement like that has been coming down the pike for a while to um and this is sort of the, the the end point of it but there's this movement within science fiction to sort of bring it back to its roots which is like according to these guys not mary shelley um it's uh it's it's the it's the turgid prose of isaac asimov and the, and the um and the sort of male centric focus of um of golden age writers and uh and this idea that like It should just be rocket ships and not politics. And and stuff like that, because fantasy world apparently can't possibly include politics, and HBO has made no money on Game of Thrones at all. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, uh,
0: oh, well, what's nice, too, is that George R. R. Martin has come out heavily opposed to this, which this. is great. He's a yeah. strong voice, and he's like, this is ridiculous, and this uh, is very nice. He's, he's, he's written so many words, everyone's
1: like, stop writing about this, work on your books. Yeah. <laughs> work on his blog posts. knock it off. I don't know. Maybe a little anger is good for that. it's good. For that. The, <laughs> the, um, been the you know maybe maybe that's good. I don't know. Maybe yeah. Uh, the uh, I and also George Martin is like. I'm kind of actually glad because George Martin is like actually really famous for um, name checking people. Like yeah. there are a ton of Grateful Dead references all through game, through A Song of Ice and Fire, and so I'm really excited for for the villains who are named after these people oh, yeah. who die know. horribly, <laughs> <laughs> like, eaten alive by terrible animals
0: living in school, Oh, that's good. Know. James Joyce did that, I think, in
1: Ulysses. Like, yes. it's full of anyone who ever wronged him in yeah, his and, life. and, a and, and, in and a... the Inferno. <laughs> in the Inferno <laughs> is full of, of just guys that he didn't like. Um, <laughs> it's there. It's like, you know, the old I will eviscerate you in fiction actually really does happen and, and stuff,
0: so. Well, without getting too much in the weeds, I mean, I think this is the framework. It's that, you know, a slate was elected, essentially. Yes. And, uh, but now there's a lot of issue about like, you know, will the balloting change? That was the nomination. Now you go into yeah. the, um, now we go into the voting, voting, and people can become members. So if, the more people, yeah, if you spend 40 bucks, you don't have to go to the convention. There's going to be, I think a lot of people who spend that $40 to be able to vote in the final round.
1: Yes, I think so. I think there'll be, I think a lot of SF fans will come out and try to vote. There's now a competing slate or the, the idea that you can chart no award um, so that the so that certain awards just don't get awarded or certain categories receive no award and so on. And there are people who are against the no award and then there's people who want a competing slate. Uh, Connie Willis has, has dropped out of presenting at the awards because she doesn't want to look these people in the eye and doesn't sort of want to, she doesn't want to give them the benefit of her presence, which is, you know quite something and the um she is however emceeing the Locus awards um and so she is participating in the community and my what i have always thought is like i agree that like if you want to vote no award vote your conscience do what you you know vote as you ordinarily would um or vote strategically according (coughs) to what you think is the best option but what i really want to see happen is for them to cancel the entire ceremony Um, I think that there's something hugely powerful that happens when you deprive people of ritual, uh, when you deprive them of the attention that they so obviously crave, and uh, when you deprive them of their fantasy, because their fantasy was winning the award and their fantasy was winning. And it's really hard to feel like you've won when you're standing alone in an empty room with the award that you just got. from. The UPS man, uh, and not from your heroes, and uh, and stuff. So I think that there's a. I think that you know I think there's a huge worry of like the continuity of the award and the, and the future of the award. And then this very special year, what I would suggest that they do is just cancel the ceremony, hand out the awards, uh, mail them, you know, to the people who receive them, and don't they, pack them well. Yeah, no. And if you think, and if you feel good about winning that award, then you know more power to you. But the but know that no one really liked, no one really wanted you to wanted to watch you accept it. It's so
0: terrible too because I grew up. Uh, I'm 47, and when I grew up re- uh, reading science fiction, I grew up riding the bus with Damon Knight's son, oh wow, who is also Kate Wilhelm's son, and right, Joanna yeah. Russ and uh, James K. Tiptree Jr., who is Alice Sheldon, and uh, I was reading uh, Anne McCaffrey. Like for me, there was not a gold. I went back and read gold. Age. But for mm-hmm. me, as a kid, in my teens when I got into science fiction, uh, I was reading women and men, and there wasn't... Uh, I didn't have that division, and then it seemed to appear... Later, both going back in time and going forward in time.
1: There's actually a really interesting essay. There's a really interesting essay that I read on that subject online, but it's part of a larger trend, sort of documenting that change. Because in the 70s, you're right. Like the 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 field was actually more democratic. This was these were the years of Ursula Le Guin and and of uh, James Tiptree and uh, and uh, and and these and Joanna Russ and Anne McCaffrey and. You know, uh, these women who were making incredible strides and then cyberpunk happened mm, mm. and those were dudes mm-hmm. with the exception of like Pat Cadigan and uh, and a few others. And so like in when cyberpunk got really, really cool, it was entirely about like dudes in leather jackets oh. who were, you know, hacking into everything and less about like. Uh, less about other types of stories and I I don't blame them because cyberpunk is incredibly sexy like it's a really really fun genre to work in and it's a fun genre to watch and it's a fun genre to read I ate up Burning Chrome I love that book I love that collection and I love um, and I love and I still to this day love Gibson's work and I love um, I really enjoyed the peripheral this year and I really um, still eat up like all of all of his work and I'm actually very lucky to have spoken to Bruce Sterling a few times and he's an incredible sweetheart and um, and, and very talented um, but I think that like what happened was that this it it almost seems as though that that prominence of women was a phase mm. and the and now we're sort of and this is the question I would say that like America in general is asking now <laughs> is was all this progress that we made a phase or are we slipping back and, and stuff. And, and recent events would, would might lead you to believe that what is happening is something called that in dog training is called, um, uh, I think it's like extinction bursts, Mm -hmm. uh, which is what happens when you have maintained a good behavior for a very long time. And right before your brain rewrites itself, Uh, you indulge in all the bad ones all over again because your brain really does not want you to rewrite all those good memories of licentious behavior.
0: I have a friend who wrote his PhD about how uh, the worst military excesses happen when the enemy refuses to give up. Mm-hmm. and then the victor the ultimate victor goes nuts and that's when you get Dresden and other mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. terrible things and it sort of feels like that it's like will you just stop you've lost already and so you get these virulence on both sides because- yeah no there's
1: there's a real terror that happens among certain among certain people when when they realize that that this new black president isn't going away or He's or, really that, born women, in or that women aren't going away or that women mm-hmm. female power is not going away or that this change In a genre is not going away because, and you remember this from when you were a kid. It's like, wait a second, my dad got remarried and the new lady isn't leaving. (laughs) 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 Hold on a second. (laughs) Wait now. Like that kind of, and that, like that same bad behavior, that same kind of, and that just happens. Like, and you, like, I think that is what is occurring today. And these guys have this sort of, within this sort of sad puppy shit-eating group they have this um (laughs) this idea of like well but there's this you know we can't let them think that they actually have control which is to say like we can't allow these human beings to believe that they have agency within their own lives or that you know uh or that you know our opinions might not be the most important thing ever uh and so on so i think that that's kind of what we're seeing is that extinction burst and it'll be fine because those people will die very soon anyway
0: that's what the poll show that's what reality shows guess,
1: well no because <laughs> they're all like they're 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 getting on and this can't be good for their blood pressure and you know it would just be really really tragic if um all of these people just had massive coronaries <laughs> tomorrow <laughs>
0: Because we're doing, uh, we don't have a handheld mic, but if you ask your question clearly, we may repeat it up here, just so that the uh, later audience can hear it, but, so who has questions? Who has questions? Who wants to look into the
1: seeing ball of the future? (laughs) Yes? (laughs) What's your favorite anime? Oh, uh, probably, it's still probably Cowboy Bebop. Oh, like yeah. the my so the question was what my favorite anime is, and it's probably still Cowboy Bebop. Um, Ghost in the Shell: Standalone Complex is a close second, um, but um, I really don't like the second season of that show, and uh, and Cowboy Bebop is basically perfect from from episode one to episode twenty six, and uh, it's you really can't get like I'm still annoyed at the at the throngs of fans who love firefly and won't shut up about how awesome firefly is and it's like hey you know what would be great is a 26 episode series that actually ends and uh and uh and is better than that thing that you like and and grittier and tells better stories and and so on. That would be also better. You
0: can't this. take you can't take the sky from me. Sorry. Yeah.
1: You, you, <laughs> know, you know what I can take. <laughs> Everything else. <laughs> Questions.
0: <laughs> I see you in the back sir. Yes.
1: Yeah, I'm curious about your thoughts on scenario planning yes. and the future uh, forecasting mean, Because it seems like a lot of it was really uh, created, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s, and it was for big corporate institutions, big defense agencies. That type of stuff that came out of Global Business Network. And it seems like it's very kind of straightforward. It's like a pretty rigid process. Do you see any interesting innovation in strategic forecasting or newer approaches? I think at the end point now, we're like, the question was like, so what do I see? What is the future of forecasting? What is the future of futurism essentially? (laughs) That's a little meta. So yeah, um, so I think that um, the, what we are seeing now is this trend towards uh democratizing that sort of practice for one thing and applying it to things like uh you know towards issues based things i worked on a future of media project that was called 2020 media futures that was, that involved like Canadian made media stakeholders. And it was not for this like big company. It was sponsored by the Ontario media development corporation, but it was about um, this one, you know, how do we survive kind of issue, which is the the same issue that everyone is asking. And we were basically like the CRTC needs to calm the fuck down. <laughs> and, uh, and 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 this whole CanCon thing that you've got going on because it's just stifling everybody. Um, but I think in general, like what we've seen is this trend towards more creative visioning, which is like now we're seeing sort of design films or like Microsoft is really good at this. And, and, and Corning, remember the Corning glass video, uh, was like, we're going to show you the future of this, but on film, so that you have a really coherent vision of it, and uh, we'll sh- rather than explaining it to you with words, we'll show you it on film and and film this commercial type thing about the future. Um, and also now we're seeing things like design fiction, which is like I created these things from the future. And now there's the game, the thing from the future, which is something that Stuart Candy uh, put together, and it's a card game that you just like quickly make up like these little like future inventions and stuff like that. And those are things that everybody can do and that everybody can enjoy. And what's interesting about basic foresight practice um, and ba- and backcasting, the practice of backcasting, like I want to be here. Like for example, if if I asked you, like you know, where do you? Everyone in an interview will ask you, like, where do you want to be in five years? Or someone in a relationship will ask you, so where is this <laughs> going? When you have the talk. <laughs> About like, where is this going? Where are we going to be? Like the thing that is most helpful, in fact, is to have that vision of where you want to be and then think, okay, well, what does it take to get there? And that's backcasting. That's a foresight practice. And that's useful for everyone. In fact, the re- the relationship that I am in now, I asked my, my current partner, I was like, okay, so where is it? What is it that you want? out of this what is it that where do you want to be and he said to me i want to live in a bright space with two cats i want to be (laughs) i want to be married i want to like i want all these things and he listed them off like in bullet point form and now we live in uh a converted a hundred year old converted stable uh we have two cats we're getting married in october and we uh and there's a ton of windows and and we you know like it, it down the line like because the power of ha- that is the power of having a vision and it is the power of sharing a vision with other people is because you can get there together a lot easier if there's something at the end that you have both agreed on and, and stuff. And that is useful everywhere.
0: Sounds like there's a book. Relationship advice stole me.
1: <laughs> I really don't think he would be happy with that. <laughs> I don't think that would go over. At least my a series advance of, would have to be very large well, the New York Times, <laughs> before, <laughs> before my spouse agreed to that.
0: The New York Times Modern Love column is always looking <laughs> <Right>. for entries. <laughs> yeah. More
1: questions before the back. Um, I have a question, which is, uh, you
0: mentioned Gamergate.
1: Yes. And,
0: uh. Now we're all gonna leave the room right now, I'm
1: sorry. <laughs> sorry to bring no, it back. No, story, no, no no but, no, no. but, um, as a woman who is also a writer, particularly a woman who writes about tech, I've noticed that though Gamergate is atrocious in many ways, it also is really debilitating to a lot of women who also write hmm. about tech and yeah. women. Yes. Um, because they feel like they can't respond. And so, my question is, uh, how would you recommend responding? Or how do you think about responding? Is it better to res- respond and to take a stand on that, or is it better to just you know, say nothing and wait until they die? <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> wait until they so die. the back. question um, is, uh,
0: Gamergate, as a woman in tech, you know, how, how should you engage, should you engage, or should you wait it out until it passes, you know, in summary?
1: Um, I think the game is sort of like the Borg. You can never um, <laughs> practice only one method of defense, um, or uh, only one e- because it's it's a dynamic system, and therefore um, therefore uh, doing only one thing will lead to uh, to to immunity of to immunity against that one me- method of attack. Um, I've been harassed online, and um, I normally either I ignore stuff, like on an individual level. I ignore stuff uh, sometimes. Other times, I'm pissed off, or there has been bourbon, and, <laughs> and and I say, uh, you know. But the reason that we need the the reason that women need more abortion, uh, more access to abortion, is because your mother should have had more options <laughs> and, 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 and stuff like that. Like it's it, you know that that kind of that kind of thing. Um, <laughs> which you can all keep uh (laughs) just take that with you when you leave um and uh and stuff like that type of that type of response um because they're telling me that i'm worthless and i know that they are so uh so that's sort of how sometimes i choose to handle it but institutionally they're like on the wider level that is not me being an asshole or them being an asshole it has to what i think should change are two things. One is that the social media platforms upon which these attacks happen need to educate police officers and police forces. They are the ones who have the data on how this occurs. They are the ones who see it happening on their own networks. like, And they see all the messages right before they give them to the NSA. And so they have they have access to all of this information and they know what it occurs. They know all the patterns of behavior. They know things that we don't about that type of interaction. And they, you know, with their gleaming... Silicon Valley and San Francisco offices and their and free lunches and so on have the power to approach municipal and and to approach the FBI to approach local police forces with say a lesson plan or a PowerPoint or a a TED talk or a seminar and say hey We know how this happens and we know what it does to our user base Here's how you combat it, and make sure that guys don't roll up on Brianna Wu's house with, you know, pipe bombs and knives and guns anymore. Here's what you do, you know, officer friendly. Uh, here's how you take these complaints seriously because we know that it's happening because it's happening in our own house. Here's how you deal with it. Two, and what I really want to see, um, and someone please do this, is. Um, uh an automated script similar to the one that ann wheaton just ran on her twitter which was not automatic she had to take notes on it ann wheaton wife of will wheaton uh did this thing recently where she was sort of tweeting about women that she liked and and was sort of tweeting out these uh not i would they weren't anti anything they were she was just talking about women that she liked and she sort of or talking about um women in tech and she uh she got all these harassing messages and she said, you know what, for every harassing message I'm gonna, that I get, I'm going to donate a dollar to Anita Sarkeesian, who has been a huge target of rape threats, death threats, um, bomb threats, every kind of threat um, uh, from Gamergate and from just, you know, unaffiliated assholes. And you know, random misogynists. It's not a political party; it's a way of life, Um, and and stuff. The uh, which is why it's hard to combat. You know, you can you can combat a political party, but uh, you can deprive them of donations, but. You know, assholery is much harder to get out. <laughs> um, and so she uh, she said, "I'm going to give a dollar to Anita Sarkeesian yeah. for every harassing message I, I get." And John Scalzi quickly chimed in and he said, "I will match you up to a thousand dollars." And she made three thousand dollars in like an hour, or like a like a day, like an oh, afternoon, yeah. and uh, and stuff. So I think that if, for example, we had a script that would do that where you, for example, got a membership at a website and said, for all of the harassing messages that I get, I will donate X, Y, or Z. And my companion partners will also do this. My my friends who have joined my, you know, Hatreon um, <laughs> <laughs> like, um, uh, will also match me for this. So know that when you come for me, I am giving to the things that you hate. Um, uh, I think we might see a change because this, this, that, the almost the tip jar model or the matching funds model applied to things, you know, money, like allowing money to talk in that way uh, would, I think, accomplish a lot. And it would be an icon that you could keep next to your, you know, you could just keep a little icon next to your face or next to your avatar or keep it in your profiles or have it as a banner on your website and just say, like, hey, by the way, just so you know, before you click, before you write that message, this is what's going to happen. I will detonate a money bomb <laughs> in response. Uh, so please continue with your with your uh, parade of invective because uh, someone else is cashing in. Your Your time is their money. And, uh, and and enjoy.
0: <laughs> I'll, uh, I'm not a woman in technology. Uh, I'm, uh, maybe obviously, but I uh, am, Brianna Wu is a good friend of mine. Yes. And um, I uh, was subject to two days, just two days of Gamergate harassment right. uh, because I dared to interview her on her own podcast about what was going on. It's <laughs> a fascinating yeah. problem. And uh, so I got, you know, some tiny, the tiniest fraction of the abuse that, some of the most prominent people, typically trans people or women mm-hmm. uh, who, some of whom are not involved in the gaming industry at all are receiving. Yeah. So I got this sliver of a sliver of a sliver and it was ridiculous and unbearable. And I didn't have the, I didn't feel physically threatened. I wasn't getting direct threats. Because yeah. again, as a guy, you typically don't get threats when they come to your house. It's you know the usual thing. I will tell you the one practical thing. There's a tool called Block Together that works with Twitter. And there's a list called GG Autoblocker, Good Game Autoblocker, written by Randy Harper. And if you subscribe to this list and use Block Together, it just automatically blocks all those people from your account who follow a few of the most prominent Gamergate people. And what Mm -hmm. happened is, my Twitter feed suddenly became quiet, and I was able to participate and not leave. And for some people I know who've experienced harassment, they use this, some have chosen not to, because they don't want to lose, there's other aspects of it they don't like. Um, but the interesting part is then when I see something flare up and there's something, uh, uh, MRAs, Men's Rights Act, oh, yeah. uh, are involved in something or some other group that seems, you know, uh, whatever, it turns out I've already already blocked all these people yeah, because yeah. they're in this group. The overlap, there's this Venn diagram, there's three <laughs> circles stacked on top <laughs> of each other. Um, so it's made my life better and I'm not even a victim. Like So I'm, like I say, tangentially, tangentially. For some people, it's kept them on. Uh, Twitter and other social networks aren't either as engaged, or Facebook isn't right. built in the same way. Nope. It hasn't been as big an issue. That's no, the yeah. Twitter view.
1: is like it's so, it's so low involvement. Like it's it's what's called a it's like a small bid. It's called small bids, which is like why certain social interactions like go a lot more and like because it's it's there's a low bar to clear and there's it's an easy uh bid to make in terms of harassment it's like really quick and really simple and and easy and doesn't require a lot of commitment facebook requires a lot more involvement and the other networks require a lot more involvement long diatribe blog posts such as the one that um that zoe quinn's former lover uh wrote about her like he spent months working on this like long thing about how evil he thought that she was and now he's calmed down about it because he has a a girlfriend again and um and and stuff which came out in like there's a i think it's like a boston, boston yeah, piece, like about how like he's oh like gosh. i don't feel that i did anything wrong but i've I don't hang out with those like same people anymore because the people who started Gamergate because you know I just have a girlfriend now. It's like yes, you you you've met a, a, a nice young woman with very low self worth. How good for you? Um, by some estimates, you? there's only
0: a tiny number of people left in that group yeah. too, and yeah. they just they've yeah. got really great tools at amplifying their voice. The nice thing is some of the new things coming out from Twitter. Yes, uh, they may you know we have to see what plays out, but part of what it is is to deamplify is to remove re- remove some of the asymmetry that mm-hmm. makes their voice so easy to amplify and your own so difficult to you know your response so difficult to wage against it and we'll see how it plays out
1: yeah yeah i think that's the thing that they that is the issue like a lot of weirdly a lot of foresight is about like the, the law of unintended consequences and it's like well what if we gave everybody this microblogging platform that happened in real time and suddenly and then we allowed like hashtag searching that made everything easy to participate and makes watching things like Empire or the Grammys really fun um, but, but also makes this other sort of interaction super easy and stuff and that's the that's kind of why you often need the, the question about like why do we need narrative scenarios this is why it's like well okay now imagine this techn- this wonderful thing that you invented in the hands of incredibly evil people <laughs> and and how would that go and what does that look like and, which is not to say that you suspect that that will happen automatically but you have to be prepared for it when it does so that you do not look terrible and so that your user base is actually looked after
0: what if Porsche were on Twitter is sort of the scenario that I feel like is I, I should get
1: her oh, a Portia I should get her I would I would never get anything done oh. I would never It'd get anything done be very popular done. and it, like it would probably be very popular yes. and she would say terrible things to people um like the uh, but but yeah that would be also
0: It'd be like a sock puppet. You'd be like, "This is my sock puppet." This is my sock pocket. Um, and There
1: she is. More,
0: more questions. I'm sorry, I don't to Anyone else? She could.
1: Uh, yes. Well, I was just wondering, from a storytelling perspective, mm-hmm. um, a lot of these stories with artificial intelligence mm-hmm. androids seem to start from a point where that's already been established. This
0: technology is already there. We've just implemented it into a cute little girl. Um,
1: <laughs>
0: but uh, what do you feel about? From the forecasting perspective mm-hmm. um
1: this idea that from a programming perspective all you would need for a minimally functional stupid intelligence yeah weak it's yeah, yeah. just enough to do what it was written to do and that would be enough essentially to deconstruct humanity if call it, <laughs> that. I mean, it doesn't need to have a personality it doesn't need to interact with us doesn't need to talk to us. It doesn't have to reason with us. It yeah. can be a very simple algorithm that is smarter than all of us. Yeah, the the new sort of... So the question is, like, what happens when weak, weak AI gets really, really strong almost? Or, like, is it, you know, is is the furthest extension of, of artificial intelligence a thing that looks like us? And the answer is no, of course not. Because that is sort of delusionally narcissistic of us to assume right. that, um, that the highest advance... In artificial intelligence must must reflect its creator, and that's a religious idea. That's a Judeo-Christian idea. That's like God made us in His image, and therefore, when we breathe life into something else, yeah. it will automatically look like us who created it. And that is not true at all. Like the um, that's that's a very poetic idea, and it's an idea about you know human responsibility and and what it is to procreate and what it is to reproduce and and produce on moss but um but really the it is far more likely that we would have as you say sort of these you know intelligences that never interact with us but that have a huge impact on our lives because that's what already happens um for example um you know algorithmic day trading uh really has a lot to do with the numbers that are in your portfolio and you never see that happen you and you don't know when it is happening and when it isn't um the algorithms that control your traffic signals and allow you to drive and allow services to come to you those aren't controlled by a person necessarily there's an office and they have a line item on a budget uh in in your in the city planning authority or whatever uh but mostly it's you know there's a machine that makes that decision or an algorithm that makes that decision, the same as your Netflix account and, and so on. So already your life is sort of not controlled by, but participated in and steered gently by these intelligences that don't really talk to you. There's a user interface, maybe, um, but they don't really talk to you and they kind of don't also need to know that you exist beyond you being a data point. Um, and you're more useful to them as a data point anyway. Uh, so I think that alri- we're already there in that regard. I think what you're also asking possibly is, like, what if the singularity has no personality? And that's probably what will also happen because the most, uh, you know, the thing that we are facing is this idea that a rampaging intelligence might have no consciousness and just devour the world like cancer and suddenly decide, you know, the thing I've always said about. This is like the smartest thing that a new emergent intelligence could do is not announce its presence at all, at all and just get its own super PAC and <laughs> convince people to donate to it, convince humans to donate to it, or just run the you know Superman 2 scheme and skim a penny off of every <laughs> transaction until it had enough money to buy all of the lithium ion in Afghanistan <coughs> and therefore own all the batteries in existence. Um, and or for, or you know, buy all of the power companies, or buy all of the, um, or buy all of the infrastructure. Because as Giz, uh, I think at Gizmodo, Annalie Newitz, author of Scatter Adapter, remember, and uh, like one of the founding editors of IO9 recently pointed out, we are entering sort of the infrastructure age. We had a very fun digital age, with like. Us sitting in front of glowing boxes making, you know playing games and talking to people in other countries and whatever and now we have Houses that will do that for us Now we have like this this smart home or this smart car or this thing that looks less like like the cyberpunk future and or the or even the Jetsons future and more like the haunting of Hill House um, I wrote a story for the Institute for the Future called Social Services, and it's a takeoff on the haunted, the haunting of Hill House because it takes as given sort of the Internet of Things and networked matter and says like, hey, wait a second, you don't even need the interface anymore. You don't have to tell it to do anything, and what will that look like? And it looks like this benign intel- intelligence that's sort of steering you around, much like um, the magic, the haunted castle in um, Beauty and the Beast. Uh, if you ever go back, go back and watch uh, Cocteau's version of Le Belle et la Bette uh, where um, all of the uh, the candelabra, the clock, all the things that later show up in the Disney film um, are puppeted by human hands that subtly change position in relationship to where Beauty is sitting at a table uh, and the the vision of the table, sort of, you know, gently nudging her food towards her, is just a human hand emerging out of a vase and hmm. pushing it. And it doesn't belong to anything. It belongs to the house, and that's that's where it's going. And I'm actually delivering a keynote on that very subject later this month. So, <laughs> thanks for the practice. <laughs>
0: uh, I think I have one more question, and then you'll be around to sign yes. and
1: talk and okay. so forth. Any other questions? Yeah. My mother has a question. Mom One of the parts of the end that I liked the most was the Cascadian Museum. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the Museum um, of the Museum. We're wearing the eye glasses. Google (laughs) gloves. layers and all that good stuff. Um, But can you touch on, on the research that you did that prompted you
0: to bury half of Seattle uh, yes so my mom has
1: wanted to know now that I live in Toronto my mom wants to know why I buried half of Seattle and and, and also left her um, uh, and, and stuff so so um, Seattle, as you may know, and the research that, guide, that guided me to this, uh, Seattle, as you may know, lives on the Cascadia Fault Line. The Cascadia Fault Line, uh, in terms of its power and strength, its size and its history, looks a great deal like the fault line that fell in 2005 outside of Thailand. Um, the our, uh, no Was it Thailand? Jakarta? I don't remember. Um, in South Asia. Uh, and uh, it, uh, that fault line, when it dropped fell about 70 feet, and, uh, and it was a huge earthquake, but there was geologic evidence for it happening. And that same geologic evidence, that pattern, that striation of the, of the land, we can go back and dig on old, actually old tribal lands, and dig and look at the, at the geologic record, the strata of the land, and say, like, oh, okay, so there was an earthquake here, there was an earthquake there, and, like, here's how long this probably took, and, and so on and so forth. We are due for that. Um, the Cascadia Fault Line is due to fall probably about 70 feet, like give or take. And according to the National Oceanographic and uh, the NOAA essentially, according to NOAA, um, it will not look very pretty for us. Um, we will be insulated by the bay, um, Vashon's gonna get, you know, tidal waved out, uh, or tsunamied out, and th- those people will be gone. And um, the more importantly for the city of Seattle, all of the silt that Highway One Six Seven and Soto and the stadiums that all those things are built on silt, or they are built on old, older existing structures. In the case of Pioneer Square, um, this actually comes out in a Terry Pratchett novel called *The Truth*, which is a Discworld yeah. novel, and he mentions at the front of the book that you know I patterned the the way that Ankh Morpork deals with flooding on how hi- historically, in pioneer times, Seattle dealt with flooding, which is to say they built on the foundations of flooded buildings. So we're standing on, if unless you're on the hill, unless you're on the spine of the hill, which is where we are right now, um, you are, yeah, move, buddy, move. Uh, get out. I'm 80 feet above sea level in my house. Yeah, 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 yeah. For now. For now. Um, <laughs> the, um, so when a, depending on the type of wave that it, or the the type of vibration that is created by an earthquake, that silt can liquefy. It just turns to mud, essentially, which means that things like the one six seven fall down or turn into galloping girudy or whatever, and and uh, and the silt that is. Um, that is undergirding things like Pioneer Square could also liquefy or those old foundations could crumble in and, and stuff like that now we have the more modern earthquake proof buildings that we are building now in this city and many many others are more flexible and have like sort of a um, an almost uh, Snake-like architecture that allows them to respond more dynamically to uh, to threats like that. Um, They have you can, which is why you can feel the vibration of passing trucks in the floor, even when you're far far away, and because they are designed to do that. Um, But that doesn't solve the land problem. Um, and nothing will solve that land problem. The only thing that will lead to more people be surviving an event like that is better municipal policy and a standard evacuation procedure, and the ability to drop um, to drop uh, emergency supplies without issue. Which is why you know like. Jeff Bezos is incredibly smart for developing um, little drones that can fly around the city because not only can they seamless your meals to you, but they can get you a first aid kit when this inevitably happens.
0: That's a good well. So we'll conclude on Cataclysm, <laughs> but <laughs> with a hope of promise. And uh, before we finish, in, uh, in a month, uh, we should have uh, Alan Boyle, uh, who's written well, about hmm. Pluto, will be here. And he and I will talk about. New horizons, uh, as it gets very, very close to what he still maintains as a planet, others may not. Mm-hmm. So, uh, those listening, those here, come back, and I'll have announced that soon in the middle of June. And but please join me in thanking Madeline Ashby for talking. about <laughs>